Hey everyone, and we're back with the Beyond Extend podcast. And as always, we're here with myself, Timothy Dries, and then on the other side, we have Johan William Lofner. How's it oh, going? Man? Oh, oh with, the, with the full name, huh? Look, I'm trying to get better at it. I need, I'll need to. <laughs> right. Nice. Yeah, you did, How are you, you doing, buddy? Job. I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing very good. Um, doing very well. There's um. You know, it's uh, we we just talked about this. It's uh, actually really snowing here uh, in Berlin. Um, yeah. yeah, actually, even last night, uh, I I did like a, I took a little walk. It was great because all the snow was still untouched. Uh, like I don't know, maybe what what is it like five to eight centimeters, maybe. But yeah, it's, is it it's that really much? nice. It's, yeah, but yeah, it, it's, it's I, at least it's it's yeah. I, I mean, in Berlin, it never stays that long, right? Especially on the roads and on the sidewalks. Uh, it's uh it's it's slush in like a couple hours but uh you know yeah, in the parks exactly. and on the cars and stuff it's still pretty nice especially i i live right next to a, a river you know took a little walk was very nice oh nice yeah we're, we're looking forward to going out after the podcast and just uh enjoying the good crunch not the yeah, not the bad the crunch that we always crunch. keep talking about <laughs> <laughs> wow straight um, into it huh yeah, exactly. But we were we were talking about it on um on the Discord and some people got confused because I was talking about crunch and they were like, What? Like isn't crunch supposed to be bad? No, no, I'm talking about snow crunch. Like Oh right. <laughs> but anyway, so what we're gonna do today is we're gonna do something a little bit different, right? Um so I've been I've been doing these uh, AMA Sundays like every Sunday on Twitch. Um at 1 p.m. Berlin time, if you're interested in joining on um, twitch.tv.timotidris, if you want to check it out. And then um, from all these questions, it would be nice to just go through a couple of them um, together with you and just do like a Q&A kind of session as a podcast and uh, just like really go into, into the weeds of like all these, all these questions. Yeah, nice. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? We stopped doing the, the Patreon questions at the end of the, the podcast, so now we can have all of them together in one. Yeah, exactly. Make, like, dedicated episodes throughout the year. Um, and then also spend, like, more time on it. Because before, like, the Patreon questions were always kind of rushed, right? Because it was always at yeah. the end of the episode. So now we can dedicate, like, the, a full podcast episode to it. So, Great. you ready, man? I am. All right. So, the first question is from Ben Black. At what age did you want it, did you know you wanted to be an artist or defined yourself as one? Um, so, this, this one, I think I started my, my story because the, the earliest thing that I can remember was playing Revolt on like the PS1, I think, and then always stopping on like cool frames to, to basically draw from the pause menu so i would like right. draw the cars and like draw like little um little basic environments around them and it would it would take me like a couple of hours just sitting there in front of like a pause screen just just like drawing the cars um so i would i think i brought that up as like my first my first moment that i realized that i wanted to be an artist even though it wasn't i mean we're talking about I don't even remember what age we're talking about. 
but it was definitely not conscious right you're not thinking about like oh my god this is my entry into like um... yeah this is gonna be my career (laughs) like that's not yeah you're just like oh this is this is fun i like cards i'll draw some yeah exactly 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 so um yeah, I guess that's sort of where I kind of began doing that. And I and I kept up drawing for like a, a really long time. I think up until um, I got into uni, because I got into uni for concept art. And mm. I really wanted to pursue like concept art. But then I kind of fell into this black hole that's called environment art. And I don't think I'll ever manage to crawl out of it. <laughs> happens, happens to the best of us, man. <laughs> What about you, man? Like, when did you discover all this? So, inter- interestingly, it's actually, I've got a similar thing um, like you, right? So, so I, I, I did some stuff while I was a kid where, yeah, I didn't think about having it as a career, maybe even about video games in general. But I, I always, you know, my, my mom's an artist, uh, obviously not, not a 3D artist, but just a regular, like a classic artist uh, and an illustrator. And... Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So I've always drawn my whole life. Um, it was always great fun. But uh, I remember in primary school, elementary school, whatever, um, when I was like, yeah, what are you then? Like nine years old, maybe eight years old. I would, um, in the breaks, I would like grab a big sheet of paper. I used to do this all the time. And then I would play, I think I just called them like levels. That's that's what we called them with my friends, and it it would be pretty much a video game that I would draw on paper, and I would be like the game master, right? So it would be like um, some kind of uh, some kind of simulation uh, city building game, and uh, I would say like, okay, you need wood, and then I you know that I, I would draw a little forest, and you had to be like, okay, I, I I'm gonna get some wood now, and then I can build a house, and then I would draw a little house, and that mm-hmm. <laughs> it's literally like a video game. And that's what we used to do. And there was like, I don't know, some games that were kind of like like Sims, right? Uh, and, and and a level that was kind of like a, like a Total War type thing where you like have armies and shit. And that's, I used to do that a lot. Like I, you know how sometimes everything kind of blends together, but I remember doing that a lot with my friends. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's, it's sort of like so a that, kid's version of D&D. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I guess it is. Yeah, it's like a tabletop kind of game and... Yeah, and I would have all these, all these like sheets of paper in my in my bag that would be would be like these huge ones that I that I'd folded together, and it would be completely like because you know I, I don't know it was like crazy because because it got got really full obviously right because I didn't erase <laughs> stuff it would just I would just draw over the stuff I'd already drawn yeah um, yeah and I would make this elaborate like UI for it it, it was actually actually uh, it would be great to like look at them now um, but. So that was like really early on. Um, I actually then had, it was like a dad of some other student who, I think he was something like a programmer or he did something with IT. And he had like an after school program where we would all get together in the computer room of the school and we would use Scratch. I don't know if you know that software. No, Um, no, never heard of it. Yeah, to make our own game. So Scratch is pretty much like an interface for making games that's, um, that doesn't really require you to know how to program or write code, but it's, it kind of works the same way. So I guess it's kind of to train kids to, to be able to do code. Is it, it kind of like Game Maker or something? 
I, I don't know. I've never used Game Maker, but it's okay. so it's instead of using lines of code, you're using like Lego blocks, right? You're using like blocks that have if the number is bigger than this, and then you put another block on it, then do this, right? So it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. You, you're pretty much you're writing code without having to write code, and um and yeah, and we used to draw uh, stuff and then make make games out of it. It was it was great. So that was like the first thing. We, I think I talked about this before. One time, the guy came in and he had a forty-two page documentation for Blender, and he wanted to show us Blender. And I was like, "This is stupid. I hate this software. Three Ds for <laughs> for idiots. I never want to do this." Right. Um. So yeah, I guess that was the earliest. So I I would say like maybe around eight or nine, and then at uh like fifteen or fourteen is when I actually started. I was introduced to like three Ds Max, and I decided, okay, this is. This is awesome. I want to a little bit more seriously. Mm -hmm. Oh man, that's crazy! You brought some you brought some memories back as well because I used to do the same thing, like drawing the levels. Really? I, that is yeah, that's, that's so cool, man. We, I, I was playing this game. Like this is my first uh, MMO that I ever played. It was called Tibia, and it was it was basically you would move on like square blocks. It was all like really rigidly grid based. So what I would do is I would draw my own levels on like um, square, um, I don't know, like squared paper because it already had the shape of the levels anyway. So the, I only needed to draw like the contours and like draw the little connection pieces and all that stuff. So I would, I would kind of do the same thing as well. And then, but I, we, we never really played them. I would only right, like would des just... design them sort of, and then just look at them and like play them in my head but never play them with other people yeah that was that was the main thing for for um for us like back in school we would like i would pretty much all i would do is i would prepare like a ui for for the game right and then um so it would say like money and uh this is like your avatar and this is uh so that was would be like in like the sims type game and it was it was like I would do like a bar that said hunger and that's that's one of the things that I would draw in pencil so it would be like fill up and then I'd erase it again and make it more empty or whatever. It was <laughs> and the cool the cool thing about it I guess that's also the cool thing about D&D I've never played it but I I I would understand that that's the cool thing about it is that you're unlimited in your possibilities right so mm -hmm. instead of having to kind of um play around inside the boundaries of what the game world gives you and what all the all the features are you can just use your imagination and say, okay, uh, so yeah, it would be like, I don't know, I remember the person didn't have enough money to like uh, go buy a house or rent an apartment, so they, they had to like rent out uh, an extra room in someone else's place, so I drew, I drew like some old grandpa's place and then there was like a little tiny room that they lived in, it was, some, <laughs> it was like stuff like that, you know, it was actually really great. Um, yeah, it was it was like... Artistry wise, it was super crude, right? Because it had to be quick. Because we, I don't know, we had like twenty minutes of break. And I just scribbled down everything. But um, I think my mom actually framed one of those uh, pictures, <laughs> just because it's it's so crazy. It was like the 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 it was like the battle of um, um, I don't even know how what it's called in English. Uh, Minas Tirith in Lord of yeah, the Rings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, it's, just, it's the same. Like, right. Yeah. So with the big elephants. 
and it's just a bunch of stick figures and elephants and stuff and there's just <laughs> lines going across the thing because it's like arrows shooting from one side to the other it was like complete it was a complete mess but my mom found it charming i guess but yeah that, so that, that's, that's that's that was a crazy crazy little thing but i guess yeah it, it's kind of what i do now in a in a very abstract way yeah yeah very very like it, abstract <laughs> a more evolved refined way yeah, instead of drawing yeah, stick figures <laughs> exactly it's a little i do a little bit more than that now at least you know that's what i tell myself yeah at least we pretend to do more than that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah this is actually like an interesting part of the question too right um we're basically talking about the first part of the question where that's sort of how we how we kind of knew even though it wasn't conscious like that we wanted to be artists or like do something with this because it was fun yeah um but when when did you start thinking about defining yourself as one because i'm thinking about this period where i was i was really into drawing and i would this is like 14 15 when you were discovering 3d i was discovering um illustration and tattoo design and all that stuff so i was really getting into like becoming becoming better at like designing stuff and like trying to um especially for tattoo designs i would really focus on like bright bright colors and like try stuff stuff out with that and then eventually you, yeah go on. did you think of becoming a tattoo artist yeah that's that's what i'm thinking like maybe at some point i wasn't I didn't want to become a tattoo artist, but I was really enjoying like the the drawings, like sort of like the pre-production of it. So I could right. like design the tattoos, but I I never had the intention of becoming like a tattoo artist. Maybe but, I wanted to be like an Ed Hardy uh, clothes designer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With like the bedazzled know, tattoo designs on the on the hoodies. But I actually um <clears throat> around around that time, like 15, 16 years old. Um, my friends really got into tattoos. Uh, my friends were mostly older as well. And they were like, I, I still remember the first time when, when, a, when a friend of mine asked me like, Hey, can you, can you draw a tattoo for me? I'm going to, I'm going to get it in like a month or two. Nice. I was like, okay. Like not really thinking about it. And when I say drawing at that point, it was more like taking a Google image and then spicing it up a little bit and like cleaning up like the faults right that's that was right, literally right. it because he, he just wanted like a, a grim reaper with like a different kind of site and i was like okay yeah i'll do it i'll do it but uh yeah i mean he's still walking around with it so <laughs> yeah that's actually crazy i mean because i i have a lot of tattoos but yeah it's actually crazy to think about like if you if you design it for someone else right they've, they're gonna have it for the rest of their life just yeah, gonna run around with stuff that you thought of. It's especially yeah. at like such a young age. Yeah, my girlfriend has one that I designed too. Um, right. And I don't know. There's like a couple of other people that have like a, a tattoo. I think I did five or something. And that's when I when I really started thinking about like, hey, maybe maybe there's something here. Like consciously right. thinking about like, hey, maybe I can I can get a little bit of money from that because they would pay me for for the tattoo designs as well, right? It wasn't mm -hmm. like it wasn't crazy but it was like oh i can make 10 euros for like one drawing this is mind-blowing right like the first experiences of like actually getting money for the tattoo design yeah that's yeah i know i know exactly what you mean because my my thing that i did 
also at like i don't know probably at around the same time right like around eight or nine what i did was um i mean around the same time as the the, the, the level thing um mm -hmm. i uh i was always drawing uh, drawing comic books that was my thing i wanted to become a comic book artist um that was my dream from when i when i grew up i loved um uh tintin right tim und Struppi, what yep. it's called in german uh lucky luke uh all the all that stuff i loved it um and i had a couple of like uh i don't know like themes a couple of comics that i would i would work on and i think i even started like printing them and selling them at like i think like a school event or something i wanted like 50 cents oh, for like <laughs> for like something yeah it was like it was like a four page a little comic and i i was like uh asking 50 cents for it or something um but yeah so that was i guess that was like when i i knew i wanted to become an artist at, at that point the comic book artist was what i wanted to be but you know it was yeah for me it was like very early on like i said i grew up with art right i it was kind of like that's what you do you draw stuff oh yeah yeah because i was about to ask like your mom was probably like a big inspiration for all that right yeah so she would have her um like her working space in the apartment right she still has like a huge table with a lot of art supplies so mm -hmm. you know maybe maybe some kids don't have access to that but i always could just go into the into the big room and then grab a couple color pencils or some some i don't know some water color right and just draw and paint like, like i i didn't i don't know like for example right now i don't even have any actual paper in my in my apartment right i, I think i have like a notebook but mm -hmm. I, I i wouldn't have any art supplies if i if i if i wanted to uh to do anything but yeah i i always had access to like good paper and good colors and all that so yeah and of course yes. also you know just seeing that is like when you grow up and i guess it yeah it it, it, it makes you creative right yeah, sort of leading by example and like taking taking that on and like being inspired by it. Because yeah. I I had the same thing with my with my um, grandfather. Like he was he was like into into like drawing little paintings. Like he would he mm. would paint like these little paintings of um, houses in the winter that were like covered in snow. Like some some like very uh, serene paintings. Like just nice. really really calm in the mind. And like uh, I still remember like talking to him about it, about one of his paintings that he was just finishing up and it's it's like literally like a, a really small frame and he would only do them like very very occasionally so i i only remember him finishing like one or two pieces and the rest um was already there so right but yeah i guess that's where my inspiration comes from yeah and, it's uh, um it's crazy how that can affect you right just seeing that growing up yeah exactly exactly um yeah man that's so interesting let's uh let's go into the next question yeah so um this is this is something completely on the opposite side of the spectrum but how do you gain speed when creating full 3d environments from sebastian brack oh um that's a i mean that's a good question uh first I mean, I don't know if you want to listen to me um, because I have been working on my scene for over a year now. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> but yeah. I think you're still quicker than me because, like, I scrapped my, <laughs> I I abandoned my latest environment that I was working on for like two years. So I mean, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. 
um there's a couple of things that you can do right to to speed yourself up what i um what i like to do is get the base right um so i like to set up stuff that i like to set up first is probably my master materials and stuff um mm -hmm. at least if you know what you're going for right so for me i mean i i've i've showed you this even uh timothy i i like to start with the stuff that sometimes i'm like i'm the most interested in if it's going to work the way i think so i was like you know i was doing some a snow scene so the first thing i did was make a snow shader and then get do like a master material see if it looks right and then i would go and set up all the other master materials that i know i'm going to need like one for props one for this one for that of yeah. course you have to have some kind of experience to know what kind of master material is going to need and then you do a, some kind of block out get everything in there and then you can start working on yeah, like the the big shapes, the big things, then moving on to the props. And then you already have, you just have to export your meshes, export your textures, and plug them into your master material, like make a material instance or whatever, and plug mm -hmm. them in. And then you're already like set up, right? So you it's it's that's what I would call like a preparation step. So that then later on in the engine, all you have to do is import your stuff, plug it in, and put it in your actual 3D environment. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's the big one to start out with. Um, is just try to get like all the technical hurdles out of the way. Um, and technical hurdles it can be like the initial setup, like you just said. But it can also be maybe you're unfamiliar with like um one aspect of it. So say say you're pretty new at trim sheets. You want to get like to grips with it fully or like understand it to to a point where you can actually know if you look at an environment you kind of know how to break it up into like trim sheets and what needs to be unique and whatever yeah. um, because i think if we're talking about there's obviously a difference between uh, us two as experienced artists compared to people people that begin as as an environment artist where a lot of the beginning is just struggling with getting through like all the technical stuff that you need to get used to um yeah, exactly. the, the first one the first one is probably going to be baking and then you have the unique section of your environment done but then you still need to um go through like trim sheets and how to maybe reuse textures from like one material use them on the next material to create something that looks new yeah. there's there's a lot of technical hurdles that you need to get over and once you get over them you'll that's that's personally for me that's when i feel like, okay, I have all the tools that I need and now I can just focus on creating the environment. Because, yeah, yeah just the, the, the technical hurdles in the beginning, I think that's what causes people to feel like really slow in creating full environments. Because every you need... time you finish something, you need to go to the engine, create a master material, make everything, like set everything up, right? Instead of having everything set up already. Like if it, not just talking about master materials, that's just like a, an example for me mm -hmm. personally, but yeah. ev with everything, right? Like everything that you do needs like that setup step after it, instead of having it all done beforehand and just plopping everything in and replacing your block out piece by piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also it's just, it's just the experience, right? Um, just yeah. doing, doing things over and over. Like if I ask you in this instance to do like a high to low poly mesh that's going to be no issue but if you're just yeah. starting out you'll have to figure out why this part of the bake is not baking correctly because you don't really know what what 
the the hurdle is there or like what you're doing wrong and it might be stupid Yo. stupid stuff right it might be i think this was brought up in the community yesterday it might be that one of the sliders is just like way too high for the baking distance for example right it's like okay and yeah that's stuff baking on top of each other and it's gonna look horrible and you don't know why yeah exactly but then if you don't know that that is that slider's fault then you you can just keep spinning in that loop for like hours like trying new stuff like are my are my meshes aligned like what's happening here like do i need to make a cage and i mean it can cages yeah <laughs> remember cages <laughs> oh man. man marmoset for the win oh my god marmoset's so great yeah it, it cut like it literally cut baking time in in like one quarter or something for me like i remember baking in substance before i had um marmoset and i mean first of all right that's also a couple of years back when i probably like you said i didn't know all the ins and outs of baking so i would have a lot more baking issues in general but yep. then also just because of substance i remember like having skewing on some on some bolts that i that i would would have um baked on and i remember baking it twice in substance once with average normals and once without and then going <laughs> to photoshop and masking it out and painting in it i mean horrible and now in 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 marmoset you can just do the skewing painter you can set the 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 projection distance oh it's great yeah man tools tools have come such a long way but um yeah i mean to to come back to it like it's it's to get all those technical hurdles out of the way first um but if say you're at that step where you don't really feel like there's technical hurdles anymore um Definitely, if you want to speed up your creation process for like full environments, try to make as much, um, try to build in as much modularity as possible. When, mm. when I talk about modularity, it's not only trim sheets, right? It's also about the stuff that you brought up. It's making that one master material that you can just plop on like the next texture, swap the texture inputs, and then you're done. Because that's yeah. also speeding it up. That's also making modular materials. Um, yeah, and then stuff like having having switches and um, sliders in your master material is going to help a lot, right? Because then you you sometimes you you can put a texture into Unreal or whatever you're using. I'm just assuming you're using Unreal, um, and then you'll have like some problems. You're like, oh, this doesn't look too great. But then because of that little bit of time you invested at the start. You can just I don't know adjust the the normal intensity slider. You can adjust your um your roughness maybe in your master material or even do like a little tint, and then you don't even have to go back to substance. You can just tweak it in Unreal and be happy with it, right? And yep. then also you can you can just copy it over, change the tint completely, and then you've got another material without you know having to work on stuff. And so that's yeah I, I'd say that's like a really big time saver is having all of these systems in place that you can just um yeah like you said copy over or whatever is plugin mm -hmm. and yeah and happen. and ideally you want them to be transferable between projects too that's what i'm yeah. what i'm really focusing on now is whatever i create or like whatever material setup that i create i can just take that do that like port that to the next project that i'm building and just have like everything set up already the only thing that i need to do then is uh, recreate like some of the inputs if it's like a completely different asset sure yeah but i know what you mean it's great i love unreal for just being able to copy paste material nodes from one project to another mm -hmm. because uh yeah i i did like one master material two years ago 
and all I've done since is just extend it for whatever I need, right? So if I'm, yeah, I, I did like a, a quick prototype of a snow scene and um, I just took my blending master material from my Tokyo scene and I added, um, I added like some directional snow and some uh, world-aligned UVs and then I've got my new, my new, um, my new master material for the snow scene. So it's mm-hmm. you can you can have such a big time save. Obviously, if it's the first project you're ever working on, or the first project that you're seriously like, you know, setting up all these things, then you're not going to be able to copy it from anywhere. But it, it it will save you time in the future when you're going on to your next project. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think yeah, those are those are like the two things to to really get up to speed with just creating like full environments. So it's like iterating on the workflow and then just like trying to save yourself time by reusing as much as possible. And that's that's like we said, using reusing materials, um, trim sheets, like all that stuff really speeds up your your environment creation workflow. Yeah. Uh one last thing I want to say about that is mm-hmm. Um, that modular material modular material situation doesn't even have to be just an unreal right also in substance so for example with my tokyo scene i've got a couple of basic materials um set up because it's it's i'm doing a stylized scene so it's a lot easier to just have like a smart material with some edgeware some some like i've got this specific way of filtering the the masks that it looks kind of painted and stylized so all of that I've got set up in a, in a smart material and then I just plop it on and I change the, the base roughness value, the base color value, and then maybe, you know, do some hand-painted stuff on top. But it means yep. that I'm cutting my texture time in, like, again, probably 25%. So, of course, with a realistic thing, it's going to be a little bit harder because everything, you want to have a little bit more detail and wear and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. um, even then, you can have you can make one good wooden material and then keep reusing it and maybe changing the tint, changing the intensity of the of like the the wood grain, all of that. So yeah, don't don't create a thousand wood materials or that f- for everything. Just yeah, set it up right, and then in substance you can just plug in the stuff you've already done and quick about it. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and the same applies for for modeling too. Like if you really want to break it down when when this is the thing when we talk about modularity, people only think about like the modularity in the level itself, where you have like facades that you can copy and then build like houses out of. Like no modularity is something that you can do at like every stage of the process. Where um with my kit that I'm building, for example, like I'm currently building a medieval a medieval market. Like whenever I need a plank, I'm not going to make like a new plank. I'll just duplicate like some of the planks that I already have lying around, or I'll just strip one of the assets that has like the components that I want for like this new asset that I'm making. So yeah, exactly. you're, you're basically building your own Lego kit, which is, yep. uh, which is super powerful, really quick. And then, um, yeah, I mean, that's the, it's the same thing as uh, I don't need to model um, a bolt a thousand times over, right? I've got yep. a bolt. I could just take it from the other scene. Of course, a bolt is, you know, you're going you're gonna to model it quickly, but at least you're saving some time. And then, yeah, if you're even taking, like you said, like whole parts, like planks and stuff, and then uh, you can even have a completely different texture on it later, but you already have that mesh and the UVs from it. You can chuck it over. Pop it mm-hmm. in your in your existing UV map, and you're gonna be 
going to be way faster than than doing it all from scratch all over again. Yeah, exactly. All right. Next question from Leon K. What is one thing or trick about 3D slash environment art you learned when you started as a junior that made you think, wow, how, how could I not have known this? <laughs> oh, that's I, a, I love that question. Yeah, I love that question too. It's such a good one. Um, and I think for me, it was when I started working at Frontier. I mean, it's, first of all, it's so hard to pick that one moment because you're going to run oh, into yeah. like all these moments where you're like, oh my God, how have I been doing this for this amount of time without <laughs> knowing this? But yeah. the, the first real one was when I started working at Frontier and I was, I was modeling something organic and I was, I had like a curved object and I was moving the curves like manually, like, like really trying to make like a smooth curve, like uh, based, based by just looking at it and like going right. back to like front view, like aligning it then going to top view, aligning this. And then it's just like lots of manual labor. And then right. one person, one person came by and this was in Maya and they were just like, uh, oh, uh, can I just show you this? And just selected the edge and did like edit edge flow and it corrected the, the edge flow. And I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, that is, that is the biggest thing, especially in the beginning where I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to use this on every organic thing that I'm going to do now. Like if I need to correct something, I'll just do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's so hard to pick that one moment because there's, about a hundred different ones that I can think of. But I remember, like, I've, I had kind of heard of trim sheets before. Um, oh, dude. And, yeah, it was like this magic thing somewhere floating in the ether. And I had also, like, kind of heard of, of doing the, the mid-poly face-weighted normal thing. But mm -hmm. I, for some reason, I was not aware that you can combine all of this. And that's so great. Like... If you have a big thing that you can't just put it all on one big texture map, if you have like, I don't know, a huge machine, then you can have the big parts be made from face-weighted normals with a tileable on it, maybe even with vertex paint or some other kind of blending, right? With like a, a tiny mask, but I mean, that, that was super advanced for the time. Let's just say with, with vertex paint. And then having mm -hmm. all the small details, like the bolts and even like um, a trim sheet with welding, and um, all the little, I don't know, like if, if we're talking about a big truck, let's say like the wheels, you would have all of that baked in a separate material. And then you would have the big parts in the, in the, in the, in the, with the, with the titleables. That was a huge deal breaker, a uh, huge, uh, not deal breaker, huge, uh, what do we call it? <laughs> uh, it was a huge um, game, game changer. That's what yeah, I was yeah. thinking of. Huge game changer for me. Cause then in my, um, uh, at the job and also in my personal work, I had all of these possibilities. I could combine things. And then the same was um, combining a trim sheet with uh, a fully baked unique object, right? So if you have, um, I don't know, like for example, the ACs in my, in my uh, Tokyo scene, the AC itself is, is fully baked, just like a unique uh, zero to one type situation. But then at the bottom, I, I left some space for cables and... Um, and like, you know, like the hose that goes into the AC and all of that stuff. And I made it a trim sheet. So then I can have these hoses and cables and all that stuff as long as I want. Yeah. So, and 
that that was like wait i thought a trim sheet was just one thing no a trim sheet can be just you can have a texture that's half half of it's a trim sheet and the other half is unique textures and mm-hmm. that completely blew my mind like all of this combining different workflows i think that's when i really started getting actually good at 3d is when i understood all of that and yeah. because that meant that you're you just become so much more flexible in the future for for pretty much anything that you can think of you're gonna have a solution in your head no matter how big yeah. how detailed whatever it has to be yeah i was just about to say the same thing that's that's when you really feel like you've broken through this technical barrier and that you can really see like all the possibilities and then that's where going back to the previous question as well it's like that's where you can really see like okay i'm building this environment i'm gonna break this down into uh unique texture and a trim but then this can be purely trim this can be only titleables and then if you break it down like that you know what what all these different workflows do like it's so powerful like it's i think that's that's when you really become creative again because I think in the beginning stages, so much is focused on the, the technical aspects and like breaking through like, okay, and now I need to learn this and now I need to learn this. And then once you have all that knowledge and then you can start juggling with it. I mean, that's so powerful, man. So powerful. Yeah. yeah it also means that you become more flexible with your budgets, right? Because you know, like, I don't know if there's like a, an asset that you need to do, but your lead tells you, hey, we can only have a 1k texture for this even though to have it in texture density you would need like a 2k by 1k or something but mm-hmm. then you can decide what's the important bits what's the stuff that i want to fully bake what's the stuff that I, maybe i can put into a little trim sheet on the bottom um and then you can get really really creative some stuff that you would think normally you would have to do with a tileable you can then all put in one texture have half of it be like a, a trim sheet into one direction and then you can uh, like flip the uvs around and, and 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 mirror the uvs and then you have like this huge area that seems like it's uh, using a titleable but it's actually using half of like a 1k texture because that's uh, you did it in like a, a use your uvs in a, in a smart way right mm-hmm. um all, all that type of stuff is is so rewarding and it, yeah also like then you know if for example now if i look at an asset and i'm like if if I had this budget, I would do it like this, right? To have the the best visual quality. But if I had to, you know, go like use less textures, I would do it in this way. If I had to use less triangles, I would do it in this way, right? So so you you already have a plan for pretty much anything you that that life could throw at you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh man, that's so good, so powerful. Yeah, those big aha moments are so valuable <laughs> yeah but trim sheets that's a good one man just like the, oh. the the other workflows and like combining them oh man that's such a good moment yeah I've all right got, yeah half of my scene that i'm working on right now is trim sheets because they're the best <laughs> i mean 90 percent of my scene currently is trim sheets so <laughs> exactly yeah i'm actually the only the only stuff that is not using trim sheets uh, for me is the stuff that i was too too um like i don't know I was too lazy to actually make a trim sheet and i was like oh i'll just do this yeah 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 and also sometimes it's just more fun to do it uniquely too right exactly sometimes. yeah that's the thing right we have that we have that liberty in our personal work where you can decide hey you know i could do this as a trim sheet but what gives i'll, I'll do it yeah exactly all right 
Next question from Lloyd James. Do you have any concerns about your future as an environment artist? Um, so, for example, technology changing the job too much, instability of the industry, or artist boredom, um, just as an example. Uh, that's um, a dark one. That is, that is a dark one. Um, I don't really have any concerns, to be honest. Um, so if we split this up, right? Um, first, about the technology changing the job too much. No, not really. Uh, I think as an artist in the industry, especially the games industry, everything is moving so quick that you... I, f I find it exciting to just move with the flow and like explore new things and like explore new technologies. Yeah. Um, and I think also a big part of this is that the industry itself will always move a little bit slower than you're used to outside of the industry. Because, yeah. I mean, multi-million multi dollar engines and all that stuff, there's only so much. Like, they're, they're fairly rigid and they take, they take a bit of time to, to, like, steer in, like, a new direction. Yeah, there's a lot of inertia, right? It's, exactly. It's, it's very much so that, like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if this is true. I can't confirm this. But I heard that, you know, in 2017, Crytek was still using Max 2011. Because yep. all of their scripts were, like, they didn't need to upgrade to a new Max version because they had all their scripts already in place to, to do all the stuff that came with the updates. And mm -hmm. especially because, I, I, like, I know I, re I, I remember downloading Crytek along, uh, Cry Engine a long time ago. I know that it's, like, a very specific engine, right, with, like, a specific, I even put, like, an FBX in, I'm pretty sure. So, um, you know, they, they had their specific workflow and it all worked, so... It it was it would have been a, a like a huge chunk of 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 development and 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 work time to then switch over to yeah a completely new software or to the upgraded version and then you have to redo all the scripts or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think I think with that technology angle, a lot of people are concerned, especially when it comes to environment artists. They're concerned about Houdini. Houdini seems to be like this, this big thing that is coming up and is gonna change like everyone's jobs completely. Yeah. Um, I'd say there's probably two things, right? It's Houdini and uh, Mega Scans, or just like scanning in, in general. I would say those I'm, are the two big ones. I'm not sure about scanning because scanning only applies to to realistic texturing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, of course. But I mean, that's that's still. I I I think it's still gonna be. At least in my mind, it's a big thing, right? It means that you're probably not, never going to have to sculpt rocks again. Because you're just going to yeah, scan yeah. a rock. All that yeah, stuff. Like say, but yeah, like say, for example, if you work at DICE, for example, where they, where they do like a lot of scanning, um, the workflow might be like completely different compared to like another company. Yeah, that's true. But, but yeah, like yeah. you said, you can only scan stuff that exists, right? You're not going to scan a spaceship because, well, those are kind of hard to come by. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So that's why that's why the Houdini topic gets gets brought up like a couple of times, especially during the AMAs, where people people kind of want to know like what the importance of Houdini is going to be. And I think Houdini is going to be important, and it already is in a lot of factors yeah. in the industry already. But I think when we're talking about environment art, your exposure to it is going to be only on. Well, what you'd say, like the, the parameter side, when you, where you have control over the recipe, but you're not gonna set up the recipe yourself. That's how I look at it. Yeah. And 
another reason why I'm not really concerned about it is because you can already see that with all of the tools, right? All, all of the tools have come such a long way. All the techniques have been like perfected over, well, not perfected, but improved over the last, I don't know, 10 years, whatever. Um, so, but we're still, we still have studios with 300 people working on a title on for five years with support of like a 200 artists from uh, from outsourcing right so mm -hmm. it's not that it's not that oh because we have substance painter and substance designer and houdini now game making is the easiest thing and it's going to be done in two seconds and then you're going to have a <laughs> huge triple a title so even if all we're going to do in the future it's going to be putting parameters into Houdini and speed tree and substance, right? All these procedural tools, whatever. And, uh, it, it, well, yeah, all it will, all it will like affect is the size of the games. It's not going to mean that a thousand, a hundred thousand people are going to lo uh, lose their job. No, it's probably just going to mean that, you know, games are going to get better and bigger, which is, you know, the trajectory that has been happening over the last, yeah, I mean, 30, whatever years. Yeah, yeah, like since since all the way in the beginning, right? Like you, yeah. a game like like Cyberpunk like isn't possible, even with like ten years ago tech. Like that wasn't possible. Yeah. So and, yeah, I'm, and it still it still has a lot of problems, right? Even though it's been worked on for eight years or whatever, mm -hmm. with I don't even know how many people. So yeah, it's it's you can tell like yeah, if the tools were better, then it would just mean that all the problems that Cyberpunk has, it probably wouldn't have. And um, maybe it would have been done a year ago, but but still, it would have like it would have probably taken uh, just as many people. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like I mean, when it comes to the tools that that they use, it's like kind of speculation, right? But like from from the the amount of people that are working on it, like that wouldn't that wouldn't change the thing. They would still they would still have as many people working on it just because of the scope and and the yeah. size and like the detail. Like even even if we're not talking about scope like say the scope remains a constant the detail is going to go up so that's that means, exactly it right yeah that means even even more artists on it because you need like all the all the little corners need to be set dressed all the little um spaces that you would you would walk through they, they all need love and even in that instance you can already see that um procedural set dressing is also becoming uh, like in its infancy, right? But even then, if we're talking about environmental storytelling, that is going to take a long while before I feel the the first strides are going to come into that. Where if exactly, you if, yeah. if you really want to tell that story that is that is brought up with like the narrative designer, you as an artist are still going to go into that location and dressing it up specifically to tell that one story because it's it's like it's like the other procedural tools at the moment right like it can do a lot of stuff really well but if you want to do like specific stuff it's still better to do it by hand i mean right now there's no tool that can just do all the work for you right everything needs human input and i think it's going to be a long 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 time before that's completely gone right i think yep. it's always going to need at least some kind of human input so yeah, there's if we look at if we look at like a game development cycle as a couple of sliders, right? So like people working on it, scope, detail, 
and then polish or whatever, right? Whatever you want to call them, the, the sliders. There's a <laughs> lot of sliders that can still go up before the people slider will go down, is how I'm going to phrase it, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm just like yeah, visualizing I mean, sliders in my head. <laughs> yeah, just all I'm saying is the games are just going to get bigger and it's going to yeah. take the same people even though the tools are better. So, yeah, maybe in a thousand years when we've got it all figured out, then uh, it'll just take a couple guys to make a make a game. But right now, uh, yep. yeah, I'm, I'm not really... I mean, until then, I'll be dead. So I don't care. I don't have any questions <laughs> about my job. Damn, okay. Yeah, you made this question even darker than it was. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But what's also interesting is with all the stuff that we're talking about, it's, it's somewhat focused on AAA, right? What I also sure. really find interesting is that the better the tools get, the more procedural tools are becoming available, the more empowering it is for like the one-person company, where it's like, yeah. okay, like they couldn't do like procedural texturing and make like, I don't know, make one texture that can do like a thousand things, so to say. Um, but now they have all the tools and they have all this proceduralism, all this automation that's coming into effect where I feel like that's going to, it's creating this like whole creative undercurrent of like smaller games that can really push the boundaries because they can spend the time where they want to and then just let proceduralism and like automation like take care of like the, the stuff that they don't really want to do. Yeah, they can do the, they can take care of the quality and then the procedural tools can help them with the quantity that you need. Exactly, exactly. Um, the second part of this question is, and this is also an important one, the instability of the industry. In my opinion, there's a lot of instability in the industry, but most of that is located in the US from, from my European point of view, where the... The typical production cycle is based around this bloating of a company and then hiring people for contract work and then, is, and then letting them go after a year. That's the most, that, that's such a horrible like business practice. Hiring. Well, uh, there's hiring like two ways. People, yeah, there's know, like I two ways it. about it. I, I personally hate it too, but it's also because, I mean, we enjoy the stability of it, right? But like, yeah. say, say like if you're like a, to pay a, my rent. <laughs> well, me too, man. But let's say you're like a digital nomad and you want to see like a ton of places in like a really short time. You could kind of make use of that system and like travel, uh, travel across America if you wanted to. I mean, I'm sure, but I, I'd, I'd say that's only like a small percentage of people, and then yes, those yeah. people could just yeah be a freelancer and move around, or um, or yeah, like I mean, they're still they're still be able to you know do contract work. It's just it's it's not going to be necessarily done after a year, right? You can you can kind of decide maybe I don't know, but yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Just like laying off hundreds of people, just I don't know. I'm not a big not a big fan. Well, especially if we see uh, the cases from like um, Blizzard, right, where they they fire like five hundred people. people, yeah, eight hundred, and then the next year they hire people for the same position. Where it's like, yeah, they're just like kicking out people that they don't want to pay as much to then hire more junior people that they can pay less. 
Yeah, and then the turnover also means that, you know, you have to onboard all these people. Like, in, in the end, just, you know, have them maybe, I don't know, be on the, on, on a little bit of a, on the, on the extra, on, on the, what, what is it called? The freaking bench. Have them on the bench. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to do a sports <laughs> metaphor. It's not working. <laughs> and, um, the only sports thing I know is bench. <laughs> Yeah, so have him on the have him on the sidelines, whatever, for you know half a year. Have him do have him do some um, maybe some prototyping uh, or or even just some personal development and whatever. And yeah. uh, and then they'll be you know they'll be ready to start on the new thing. But of course, it costs money, and yeah, you know whatever. Do you? But what what is your view of instability of the industry itself? Do you think it's unstable? Yeah. So that's exactly what I was gonna was gonna um, say next. So, in general, I don't think the the industry is unstable. I mean, certain studios might have problems, right? And some studios will will fall, and some others may rise, and all that. But um, in general, I think people are gonna want to play video games. I mean, if if the last years has uh, last years have told us anything, that's it's that people like playing video games, and uh, I mean. Of course, right now it's it's at, ex at an extreme with the whole uh, quarantine, working from home situation. People have more time on their hands because they can't go out and whatever. But mm -hmm. um, just everything, everyone's playing video games, right? So yeah. I don't I don't see that declining at all. Maybe it's going to change. Maybe I don't know. In a couple of years, if we're listening to some specific people, it's going to be all about AR and VR. But it's still going to be video games. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they're just going to take different shapes. But when when we're talking about instability of the industry, I never, from, again, we're, we're talking about, like, from a European standpoint, right? From yeah. the jobs that I've had, from the jobs that I know that other people have had, there's a lot of stability here. Um, so I wouldn't really be worried about that. Like you said, there are going to be companies that will will try to work with like the more American style of things where they hire people for contracts that you kind of have to be like really good to stay on or they will just let you go after that contract. But yeah. I would say in Europe and yeah, in Europe in general, like that's, that's like the minority. Like, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be worried about the stability of the industry and especially as an artist within it. Right. Also, if push comes to shove, and let's just say nobody wants to play video games all of a sudden, um, there's still, like, 3D in general has become so much more important, right? Like, mm. ads, movies, everything. Everything's using 3D. Just, like, graphics for, uh, like, even, like, Archviz, like, 80% of the IKEA catalog is CG, right? I mean... Yep. Just stuff like that. It's it's just gonna. I mean, maybe it's not it's not gonna be the the same because you want to work on games. But let's just say from one day to the other, nobody wants to play video games anymore. Um, yeah, then people are just gonna uh, need three D for other stuff still, and yeah, you'll, you'll have something to fall back on. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm. Um, if we if we're looking at the the question, right? Do you have any concerns about your future as an environment artist? Simple answer to that is no. In my case, I have no concerns whatsoever. Yeah, same. I'm I'm feeling pretty good about it. Artist boredom. What what's what's that about? I think I think it's just be becoming stagnant and maybe maybe 
pigeonholing yourself, maybe that's like a concern that they want to bring up. Because I've I've talked about that that sometimes you make the oh, what is that saying called like the you make the bed that you want to lie in. So that sure. if if you, um, for example, in my case, like I was doing some speed tree stuff outside of work, and then people at Frontier picked up that I was doing a good job with that. They wanted to, um, well, they had me they had me working on foliage for like a long while, and I didn't really like that. Right. Um, yeah. I, okay. So it's it's that kind of thing, but yeah, it's also looking back at it, I'll have to be really transparent too that. They asked me multiple times. I was always kind of, I was always saying no, but maybe in a too joking of a manner because I wasn't really sure about right. if I wanted to do it. So then they could have perceived that as like, oh no, I think he wants to do it. And I, I know I what know. you mean. Yeah. So, because that's the thing, right? Like I, I always wanted to challenge myself. So in that case, um, speech tree doesn't really do do it for me like creatively when it's just like moving sliders and 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 all that stuff to create like good looking trees it can be fun for sure but i was doing it for like six months on end and i was like nah, not really not really liking this yeah yeah i i know i had a friend that that worked on uh hair i think for like nine months right right like yeah. a character artist that did hair for nine months yeah of course it can get boring but also in the end we kind of i mean we do have to understand that what we're doing is a job, right? Like, yep. <clears throat> even yep. if you're working on something that you don't like for nine months, well, I mean, yeah, you're 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 still just doing a job. You're yeah, and you're still making games too. There's people yeah, that do. Games, yeah. There's there's people that do their day jobs for like forty years and they don't like it. <laughs> I mean, exactly, right? Like, I could. I don't want to insult any kind of job, so I'm not gonna uh, uh, do an example, but. I could be doing a lot of different things for 40 hours a week for 40 years of my life. And um, even though, yeah, maybe I'm not going to be able to have the perfect game that I want to work on or whatever, or the perfect thing that I'm doing, still, I, for me personally, I'd say doing foliage for a year is better than, uh, yeah, like, again, I don't want to make an example, but I don't want to do other stuff. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I totally agree. But sometimes... I think, especially in the beginning for me, I was, I was still exploring stuff. I was still looking around. So, and I'm, I gotta be honest about this. I'm also impatient. Like, I'm pretty impatient when it comes to that stuff. Mm. Um, so that's also why I made the switch in the end. One of the reasons. But um, when we're talking about artist boredom, I mean, there's so much opportunity, so many different projects. Um, like if, even if we're talking about like future stuff from stuff that is, that is not even in the works yet from like companies that you haven't even heard of, like there's so much excitement that you can have for, for those projects that there's always going to be something new. There's always going to be the next thing that might be, might be different, but yeah, that, that, so that, that's kind of it on, on that topic. Right. Um, let's, let's dive into the next one. So, for someone seeking to enter the industry, would you say they should demonstrate only one style, like either stylized or realistic, or would showing both increase your chances? I feel like it could dilute the portfolio, especially if you don't have the time to choose each project carefully. Hmm. 
The question is all this time. Yes. Um, in my opinion, I would, especially if you're starting out, focus on one thing. Focus on the thing that you enjoy the most is always the thing that I, that I go back towards. Because imagine, imagine if you're doing like realistic, but you hate it and you, you kind of want to do stylized, but your entire portfolio is realistic. Then you're probably going to get hired for like a realistic art position. Yeah. And then you're going to be working in that position for like a couple of years until you have enough stylized pieces to kind of make the switch. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's like the, the short answer to it, right? Um, I would definitely start out with something, something that you'd like in the beginning. Um, yeah, I, I agree 100%. Uh, for me, it was the same thing, right? I was like, I wanted to do probably, I, I, like, that's the thing. I didn't even know what I really wanted to do. So I just started out doing realistic things. And then mm -hmm. I did one stylized piece for my portfolio, which, um, which is, I mean, it, I don't know if it's what got me the job, right? But it's what coincided with me getting a job. Um, but that was probably just because I was able to show a lot of different stuff in the stylized piece, right? I, I didn't show that I could uh, texture in a realistic way, but I showed modularity in that piece and other kind of things that, so... Yeah, because because at that point I wasn't I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, so I I didn't want to pin myself down to just realistic or um, stylized because that's that was probably the first time I even did anything stylized, so I, mm -hmm. I just had to try it out for myself. But yeah, if you already know what you want to do, then uh, like you just said, having that focus is going to be your friend because yeah, if you've got a fully stylized stuff in your portfolio, but you want to do realistic um, texturing and 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 environments then what yeah how how should anyone hire you because they they can't see that you can do realistic things because you you're not showing them yeah exactly exactly um so showing both would it increase your chances um i mean depends i think in my opinion yeah in in my opinion from what i personally would would see in like an interview situation is that if you have um if you're constantly switching back and forth i think you're just not really sure about what you want to do and it might um in the worst in the worst possible way that i can say it right it might lack just artistic direction that you that you're still not sure about what you want to do even after like the the couple of projects that you um you want to do yeah that you kind of showed off but that doesn't mean that with, with a little bit of tweaking you can kind of direct your portfolio again right so say if you look at your portfolio and say for the sake of um, example you have three stylized pieces and three realistic pieces pick the ones that look the best to you focus your portfolio on that and then Try to get a job, and as soon as you get a job, do stuff on the side. Like, explore really what you want to do, because once you get in, you're not stuck. You can still move around. There's still, like, options for you out there. Like, even if you oh, want to yeah. switch it up completely. Um, and there's going to be more options if you're already in the industry, right? So, yes. So, 
probably like if you don't mind working on something that you don't love i mean that's also just kind of what we're talking about earlier um for a year then it's probably better to just if if you've already got two realistic things then yeah just do a third one and apply get a job already have income which is i don't know i think it's i think it's a plus (laughs) Um, yeah and then i love eating yeah yeah <laughs> and then instead of having to um do three stylized scene over the next year um to to then apply for a stylized uh job anywhere um you just maybe you work on something that something realistic for let's say one or maybe two years do like learn a lot of things in your job do some stylized stuff on the side and then you can still go to your current employer and say, hey, is there maybe a project, if, if you're at a place that has like a lot of different projects, that mm-hmm. has some stylized stuff that I could try out, or you apply somewhere else. I don't know. It's a lot of different things uh, that you could do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's the, also the important thing, right? Like, you're not stuck. You, there's so many options, so many options in the industry, so many options even within most companies yep. that, uh, that you, can, you can just move between stuff um yeah you you're never going to be pinned down if you don't let mm-hmm. yourself be pinned down right if you if you show and say to your employer that there is something else that you might want to try out then at least usually you're you will have the opportunity it may take half a year maybe even a year until that opportunity arises but still they'll they'll have it in you know they'll have it noted somewhere hey william wants to do stylized now mm-hmm yeah, exactly. Exactly. So be open about that too. Um, Yo. Next question. Uh, let's have a look. From Ioana Oprisan. Have you heard of a situation when someone was sacked right after being hired because it turned out that they lied or were worse than their portfolio? <laughs> I, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, this Ooh, is this is this a, is a hot question. question. That is a <laughs> spicy, spicy meatball right there. Oof. I loved I love this one because like just, just to give you like an overview, right? When when these questions come in from the AMA, usually they come right before the AMA. So right. I don't have any any leeway to prepare myself for questions like that. Or sometimes they even come like during the, the Twitch live stream, right? So when someone comes out with like spicy stuff like this, it's so good, man. Because it puts you back on your heels and you're like, oof, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a scary one to answer, I would say. Um, how did I answer this? I'm, I'm trying to think back because this was a, I think this was a fairly recent one too. Um, I don't think... I've personally not had the situation where someone was sacked right after being hired because they turned out they lied. Uh, because usually that's what the interview process is for, right? Yeah. The interview process is to sit down with you, listen to how you can explain the workflow and kind of poke holes in your in your workflow and kind of see how you react to that. Because even mm-hmm. even if you, I don't know, if you're kind of like a, if you if you die hard and you want to get into the industry and you learn all the workflows by by reading about them, there's still gonna be specific questions that during the interview get asked that 
will trip you up or might trip you up even even though you have no uh, in this case like professional experience right yeah um i think that someone getting sacked because they lied or were worse in their portfolio is probably the least like the 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 smallest possibility of reasons why like that 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 would lead to someone getting sacked right after they're being hired because yeah. even if <clears throat> like at my previous job there's only um a limited uh interview and uh hiring process mm -hmm. that will be the focus right that's what they it, it, like there's a couple of things that they should test for at an interview and the like seeing that you're going to be able to work is probably the first one that they're that like the most important one even if all the other stuff is going to be stripped away that's the one that they're going to make sure is going to be uh working some uh, studios might not like have the time or the money to look into what kind of person you are do you fit the team right that that would be the thing that probably gets left by the wayside in some interviews at maybe a little bit smaller companies and i think mm. that's probably going to be the reason why people are going to be sacked right after they're hired is because maybe they're going to do a good job but they're going to be uh toxic or in some kind of way detrimental to the team spirit or the the um just yeah the whole the whole studio yeah yeah i agree um usually in in the interview process like you you kind of screen for that too right that's that's why at least you should yeah that that's why usually you have like an interview process where you can sit down with them i mean covid kind of kind of screwed that one up big time but <laughs> it's it's always interesting to sit down with the artist and like just talk to them and see if they're like a a nice a nice and an open uh open kind-hearted person because there are people that are gonna have an ego and you kind of don't want to have an ego working with you inside of the industry because then no. they're not going to be really open to sharing their their workflows they're not going to be um open to like working within the team even and like exactly. you said those those might be the cases where those are the most likely cases where you might get i mean you're not going to get sacked for that right away there's Ideally, there there's still like a couple of talks between it. See if they can, see if they can like help you out with anything. Right? It's not. It, it, I don't think in most cases it's gonna be like, oh my god, you're you're not really working with the team. Get out of here. That kind of situation, right? There's there's like a structure to it. Ideally, I mean, it's just a straight to the point kind of question, right? But it's it's a good one. Um, I'm just gonna add this one little thing behind it where. Um, the, the second part of the question, where they were worse than their portfolio. I would say right. that in most cases, that might be That's the, the case. case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you're, yeah. Working, you're working on your personal work. You put your heart and soul into it. And then, like you mentioned before as well, and which I think is true, if you get into the industry, that is your job. There's like a lot of factors that come into it where you have like all the creative control in your personal work. You don't really have that anymore. So yeah. there's like a lot of technical restrictions, a lot of creative restrictions. There's like a lot of workflow adjustments that you need to do. Not to say that that games look 
Luke Waters' 10 portfolio pieces, but there's you're not going to have the same the same kind of workflow or like the same kind of speed behind your your and uh, you'll have to learn stuff all over again yeah as well exactly exactly i think that's the thing in, in the first month you're gonna have to i mean do onboarding all that stuff and your productivity is gonna go down a lot compared mm -hmm. to what your portfolio might have been but then it's gonna go up exponentially right you're gonna you're gonna be able to learn from your peers and um and just master everything around you and then bams you're, you're productive again and you're going to be better than your portfolio yeah like you said exactly. there is there is that that different workflow and that means there's going to be some kind of transition phase mm -hmm. between yeah definitely that onboarding phase that you need to get through but yeah <laughs> this is a really really cool question yes. um so should we should we do one more yeah i think that's that's probably fair yeah more. all right um let's go into this question from leon k do you feel like the skill level required to break into the industry is getting higher throughout the years huh wow that's that's an int that's actually a really interesting question i would like to know some kind of statistics on this yeah you know what i mean me too i think that's that's also what i what i kind of said on on the ama too like it would be kind of nice to have some sort of like comparison um and the thing the thing that i said i think this might have been a while ago is that there's more people trying to get into the industry that's for sure yeah. like we yeah. we all know that so with bigger masses trying to get into the industry there's obviously there's more applicants and there's also like a bigger a bigger choice of applicants that you can pick from so i think yeah. this is this is pushing like the skill level required to break into the industry up and up over the years because there's just more people trying to get in but at the same time so that's why i was talking about um talking about like uh statistics the scope and the amount of people needed for making games and also the demand of people uh, needed to make games just because uh, there's a lot more video games than there was 20 years ago. I would oh, or even 10 yeah, years yeah. ago, right? So, so that, that's the, the, the st statistic side of it that I'd be interested in, in like how many more jobs are there compared to how many more people want to have jobs in the industry? Because maybe the studios themselves don't get that much bigger, right? There's only like maybe 150 people more and like maybe only 30% of them are going to be artists um, mm -hmm. compared to 10 years ago. But then outsourcing studios are such a big deal now. I think a lot of people, like oh, obviously that's true, I have yeah. like a personal connection with it, right? Because I, I used to work in outsourcing. But all of the games that you play if they're gonna be if they're a triple a title i would say there's a very very high chance that they you worked with at least one outsourcing partner probably upwards of three right like it's actually crazy how many studios are like working on one game now just because maybe you have like sometimes you have you have a, a company that has several several studios and they might share work on a project and then additionally you'll have like three outsourcing partners. So yeah. I think probably it it's gonna be more. It's it's still gonna be a little bit harder because I think the amount of jobs created are probably a little bit 
lower than the amount of people that want to become artists in the industry. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it might like I don't think it's as drastic because yeah yeah that's a that's a yeah. good point because because the, the industry is also creating more jobs exactly and then yeah. I mean uh, he is specifically asking about the skill level required and not and not um, how easy it is to get a job mm -hmm. um, but um, if we're taking if we if we would say okay how easy it is to get a job of course it gets harder because everything gets more complicated but then. The resources out there are amazing now, right? Yeah. Like a couple of years ago, you needed to go to a specific place or like know someone that could teach you. And now there's so many free and so many paid ways to get a basic understanding and an advanced understanding that could, could yeah, lead to you getting a job because you have all the basics and all the, the that stuff already. Yeah, exactly. That, Check out beyondacent.com. Exactly. <laughs> That's, that's a, a nice plug. segue, nice plug. <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean, that's the thing, right? So we have all these, thing, all these things that didn't exist a couple of years ago. I mean, we talked yeah. about that a little bit last time, right? Like how, what kind of resources we use for feedback even. Um, that, has, that has changed and everything's become more accessible. Um, so yeah, yeah think, exactly. Like it's, it's like you said, more accessible. And it's also on the, the program front too, right? Like you, yeah. I mean, when I got started, I was doing texturing in Photoshop, like making all yeah. the layers making manually and all normal. that stuff. Yeah, making it next normal, working in UDK, like everything is so accessible at this point, which is like really good. But it also means that more people can get in. That, yeah, exactly. That's why, that's why I can't. I don't really want to say either or, just because until I like get some kind of st statistics <laughs> I, I i can't say it because I, I don't know how many more people are there it feels like a lot more people want to uh, get into the industry but that's yeah. also because now i'm inside the industry looking outwards right so mm -hmm. and i don't have that comparison from a couple of years ago that the, the perspective switched for me so it's really hard to answer i would probably say just for my feeling i think the skill level um I, I, is getting higher of course the skill level of someone today compared to someone 10 years ago is way way higher but that's also just because everything's become more complicated right like you know have to know a lot more things because back then yeah you didn't need to um do all that much right i mean i don't want to <laughs> 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 that sounds like i'm talking shit about uh artists from 10 years ago not at all but yeah thanks i got in cheap <laughs> <laughs> But you know what I mean, right? There's like, there's a different, there, just because also the budget changed, right? Like back then, realistic texturing meant something looking good on, on a, with a 256 texture. Yeah. And uh, yeah, which has its own challenges, obviously, but you maybe didn't need to uh, do other things as in a, a way that's as detailed. So I think this question is so complex, the more I'm thinking about it, that there's actually <laughs> not really a way to answer it in a in a way that that's fair just yeah because yeah. then then i'm thinking about yeah back, back then you had to have like the skill set I, I don't yeah let's just say the skill set just changed right like stuff that you needed to become an artist a couple of years ago um is 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 different from what you need today i would i would say the skill level has has definitely increased to hmm. to break into the industry um but yeah, it's it's sort of it's sort of like how much has it changed, 
or how much has it like just become trickier right because like you said um like you said you just need to have this broader knowledge about like all the stuff that you need to do now because it's it's considered standard knowledge for the industry um so yeah i would say the skill level required to break into the industry is definitely getting higher but it's also but it's becoming it's, easier to get to that level. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Especially like you said, resources, programs, like just communities, just like everything is so easy to access now. Like if you if you really want to want to get good at it, like the thing you do is just join one of those communities, get started with modeling and like just ask like loads of questions where before it was like when we're thinking back at a polycount or something like that where you could ask a question on polycount yeah but it was gonna take a bit before you would get a reaction where now it's almost instant with like discord communities um so like the the pace of just you soaking in that knowledge is just so much quicker than it was before but man it um, would be it would be cool to see some statistics on this i would be really interested in that yeah totally um and yeah, talking about these communities, what would be one that you would personally, uh, you know, recommend? Is there any, <laughs> any of them? <laughs> well, nice setup for a segue, man. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Um, so there's there's definitely our community that you can join, right? Um, so Patreon.com/slash/BeyondExtend if you want to have access. Um, it is it is a paid community, however. But that's also how how we keep it small, right? And I think that's where the power of a community comes from. Just having having like a, a smaller community that that really focuses on helping each other out. Even though I say small, we just hit like um, 100 members in the community. So, uh, oh shit, going good. But yeah, if you want to join, check out um, beyondextent.com. Check out some of the resources that we put out there. Check out the Patreon, and also, um, if you're watching this on YouTube, like, like, and subscribe, and all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, it was awesome having you here, listening to all of us talking and yapping on about these these good questions. And uh, yeah, thanks, Will, for being here. Nice question. Uh, It was a pleasure as always. Um, Yeah, and now go and enjoy the snow, my friend. Oh yes, no time. Talk to you all later. Bye.